Thanks, Sam. Look, I know the, uh, the Thai joke's been a long-standing uh, s- s- like benchmark, but um, can, can we revise that to uh, 17 to Tara's age? Because <laughs> I'm no longer in the young adults category, so, um, but I want to come and play board games. Can I come and play board games? I'm totally going to do it. Not really. I have kids and commitments. Anyone want to babysit for me? I joke. Hi, everyone. It's really good to see all of you here. Um, I know we're sort of getting back into the swing of the year, and I am so excited about Vision Sunday. Um, I wish I could tell you stuff now. I'm not going to. uh, But we really do have uh, some exciting stuff to share, some cool stuff that God is doing. Um, And I know that uh, we're going to be sharing something fresh with you, uh, some stuff that we're going to be doing. And it's, uh, it's not just an idea. We know that God's in it, and God has been moving in it. And so... Um, we're really, really excited about next, um, next Sunday and would love you to come. And also if you've got someone who's interested in church, interested in getting connected to a church, maybe someone who's moved to the area, someone who's been, you know, thinking about, uh, finding a church to go to, then this is the Sunday to bring them along to, because we're going to be talking about who we are, what we do and how you can be part of it. Um, so, you know, from youth to uh, women's and men's ministry, all the things that we're doing, but also what we're doing as a whole, as a whole church, where we're headed um, and, and what part each of us is going to play in it. It's not just about us who stand up the front here, but church is you guys. Uh, you know, we're here to serve you and help you to become ministers of the gospel. So we believe that uh, it is completely uh, not about what we do, but actually about who we are as, uh, as a whole church. So um, come along, don't miss it. If you can't make the morning, definitely make the night. We're going to do similar on both, uh, in both services so that no one misses out. Um, also, uh, coming up uh, from the uh, from the end of March, we're going to do a couple of courses. So we're going to be going straight out of Vision Sunday into uh, early March. We're going to start our Core 101 course. So we haven't run that yet. Um, we went through Commit and Connect um, over the last couple of years. And our core is what it takes to be a leader what it takes to be part of um, the team that are serving you, but also uh, what you can do, think principles you can put in place in your life to help you become more effective effective in the ministry that God's given you, the call of God on your life and in leadership and um, avenues in the church and outside the church. So uh, we'd love everyone who can get along to that to get along to that. Um, And then after that, Uh, We really want to build our night service. Uh, We think it's an opportunity to get into our our community so that, um, uh, you know, give people more options to get to church. So we're going to be running an alpha course, which is a course for people who are questioning, for people who maybe have questions about God, about life, um, about the meaning of life and all of that. And it's a great um, beginning or introduction to the things of God. And so we're going to do dinners and invite as many people who are in that category as we can, get them along and hopefully uh, start to see something great happen there. Um, I know that God can change lives when people are open to the gospel, but also when God's people are open to sharing their lives with people who need to get connected to Jesus. Um, I love that one of the things that um, 
Pastor Ken, who was speaking at the Lift meeting on Friday, he shared that we as Christians need to be, a, uh, he was talking to pastors, but I think in general, we as Christians need to be intentional about doing life with people who don't know Jesus. That means not just going and standing on a street corner and, you know, handing out a piece of paper, but actually giving up some of your time to uh, get to know someone, to invest in their life, to care about them and for them and wait, you know, sometimes you even need to wait for the opportunity that God gives you to speak into their life. Um, that is, has nothing to do with what I'm preaching except that it's Jesus and I'm preaching about Jesus. Um, so we've been talking about uh, following Jesus over the last few weeks and I'd encourage you to download some of the podcasts if uh, you have a long drive to work, jump on our website, you can literally just push play, you don't even have to go into the podcast app, um, so you can push play from your phone, play it in your car um, and have a listen, play it at home, whatever, but catch up on um, all the things that we've been sharing, I know that um, you know, some of the team have shared some great messages over the last month. So um, this morning I'm going to be speaking uh, about what Jesus wanted to tell us about worship. I played with uh, a few titles, but I think this one works. Um, why Jesus flipped out. If you're anything like me, you have this picture of who Jesus is from reading the scriptures, right? And there's the one story that stands out to me in the Bible that just really struck me as not quite fitting with the picture, it's like one of those out-of-character Jesus moments, like, what were you doing? And I love it because it, it's there for a reason. It's not like Jesus just had a bad day and, uh, so, uh, and like some stuff went down that was not really who he was or whatever, because we know that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he only did what God had uh, told him to do. He was only following uh, his, you know, what he was supposed to be doing. So we know that Jesus did, uh, did not just have a bad day. Um, so we're talking about this story where it's sometimes known as where Jesus cleanses the temple and Jesus clears the table, uh, clears the temple, and uh, most of us would be familiar um, with you know the fact that Jesus flipped some tables and uh, and drove uh, the animals out of the temple uh, with a whip. And so uh, I'm going to read both accounts of these stories in the gospel and I'm going to share a few insights into what I think that this story means for us, what it actually has to say, what God intended for us to understand through this story. Um, And so uh, I'm going to read first from uh, Mark chapter 11. I'm just going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is... uh, all good for teaching and instructing us, Lord, and we know that it is inspired by you, Lord, and we just pray that we would see it, God, for all that it is, Lord, that we would have eyes to see with clarity what you're saying to us. I pray that every heart would be open to receive from you this morning and that it would be your words, uh, not mine, God, that you would help me to communicate communicate clearly what you have to say through these scriptures. We pray, Father, that we would all receive your word uh, as good soil, God bearing good fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. And I find this verse. So it's in Mark chapter 11 and verse 15. If you want to watch, read. 
turn with me. It's all right. So when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out people who were buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stepped Uh, He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of all the religious law heard what Jesus has done, they began planning how to kill him. So this story actually in Mark occurs at the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, there's a debate whether the uh, incident actually or something similar happens twice or whether it's two different accounts of the same story because John also tells a story. But um, in Mark, if I to put it in the context, the one I just read, it actually happens right near the end of Jesus' ministry. This is where they begin to plot to kill him and um, the events start to unfold that we know it's the passion of the Christ or, you know, it's it's definitely towards the end of his ministry, whereas when we turn to the story in John chapter 2, we find it right after the wedding in Cana, which is literally the first public thing that we see as part of Jesus' ministry that occurs. He um, turns water into wine. It's the first miracle that's recorded. So we have this story placed at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to read it now. So from verse 13, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them out of the temple. He drove out sheep and cattle, scattered the money, changes, coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over... Uh, To the people who sold doves, he told them, get out of here, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanding, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do it, uh, show us a miracle to prove it. And then Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So we have a story placed at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John. Uh, One thing you have to know is that uh, John actually tells most of his stories out of chronological order. uh, And that is because uh, every story that's told in John has theological significance, not just historical significance. And so John actually tells his stories about what Jesus did in his ministry uh, for... uh, and had a purpose for the order in which he put them in. So John's actually telling us something about what Jesus did by putting it out of order. Most scholars would agree that the story is probably, while possibly happened twice, more than, more than likely it actually is just the same story, but John's chosen to tell it in a different order for, uh, for the purpose of making a point. Um, if you like, you only have to read the two accounts to realize it's a very similar story, um, and it also a very significant act. And so that's two of the reasons why uh, people say that it was probably something that only happened once. 
Why does John tell it at the outset of his ministry? Well, we need to see the uh, point uh, that John is making in telling this story. And we know from the Gospel of John that he, his, the entire purpose of uh, the book of John is to describe who Jesus is, to place Jesus as the Son of God. That is, that's what his whole uh, purpose is in all that he records, what he chooses. See, every gospel writer chooses uh, certain parts of Jesus' ministry to record. doesn't make it any less accurate or true. It's just the purpose for which it was written for. And so we know that John is telling us that Jesus is the Son of God. One of the reasons we know this is because he actually quotes Psalm 69 when he says, uh, when he quotes the, um, Jesus as saying um, that passion for his house will consume me. That's from a psalm that uh, also has some prophetic uh, description about the coming king and it talks about some of the things that reflect what happened to Jesus when he's crucified. And so by uh, quoting that part of what Jesus says, he's showing us that Jesus is the Son of God. So that, that's kind of background as to why the story's in there twice. So we see this story is at the time of Passover. Passover is a significant worship time for the people of Israel. It reflects the time where uh, they, or the, they celebrate that God brought them out of Egypt and he uh, supernaturally uh, was, uh, by, by using the, the lamb and the sacrifice of the lamb, how uh, the people were delivered at the time of Passover. And so uh, this celebration is the biggest. It's still in Israel is the biggest celebration that goes on. And, uh, and so by entering the temple and choosing this time to actually address the issue of worship, he is addressing uh, not just the Passover festival and not just the temple, but he's addressing the people's worship and commitment or following of God. Um, he's addressing their relationship with God. So three, th three things I see in these stories that I believe Jesus wants us to know about worship and why he was willing to sort of step out of character to, um, to what we normally see him doing. Why, why was this such an important point to make? We need to understand the dynamics of what was going on. So why they were selling animals and trading money in the temple courts at that time was because people would come from all over the nation to come to the temple to worship at the time of Passover. And they were required by law uh, to bring a sacrifice at that time. And you can imagine if you had to walk from here to Katanning, <laughs> or from here to like Margaret River. or So if you were walking from your farm and you'd chosen your best animal to bring as a sacrifice, you imagine getting halfway and the animal dies of thirst. You bought your most prized possession that you require that year for sacrifice. 
and things don't work out. So then you've got a choice of walking back to where you came from to get another sacrificial animal uh, or, not, or turning up without the required sacrifice. You imagine how inconvenient it is to travel with animals. If you have small children, you know what I'm talking about. It makes it a lot harder to get anywhere. It's a lot slower. It takes more time. You've got to allow provision for them. It really is like traveling with children, actually. And so to turn up at the temple, you had to have this temple sacrifice as part of the requirement of the law. It was supposed to be an animal that was without spot or blemish. It had to be one that was your... You, you were giving of your best. You know, we talk often about our offerings, about how we're to give of our best, how we're to give not just of our abundance, but actually sacrificially. By requiring uh, people who had animals to bring their best, they were, it would have been sacrificial. That would have been an animal that would have, would have most likely have wanted to breed from because that then strengthens your... So it's not, they're not just giving one, they're actually giving out of the potential of their future abundance. So they're giving their best to God by doing this, right? And then the, we find the money changes in the temple. Well, what, that, what is that about? As required by the law as understood in the day, you couldn't pay your temple dues or your temple tax with money that was foreign money because it often or, or it at the time had the image of the leaders of the day. And uh, for, we know in, uh, in the Old Testament law, there's a, um, a mandate or a forbidden um, aspect you know, of having any graven images. And so that money was actually unacceptable in the temple, but to come and worship at the temple, people had to give. Uh, and so they would swap their foreign money that would have had Caesar or the, you know, whoever the emperor was or wherever they'd come from would have had the image on it and they would swap it for shekels that bear no image. And so we find money changers and animal salesmen in the temple. Why? Because it's convenient. No longer would people have to travel with their animals or bring their best. They could just easily purchase what they needed on the temple grounds. They could turn up from anywhere, anytime. They didn't have to plan ahead. And I think one of the things that was offensive to Jesus in the temple that day was the convenience that was being uh, supplemented or like, achieved by having a marketplace in the temple. I think sometimes we're guilty of looking for convenience in worship. We're easily guilty of going, oh, if it's not easy, I'm not going to get up and go. If it's not easy to give, I'm going to, you know, oh, if it's not, uh, if I can't afford it, I'm not going to give. If I don't have enough time, I'm not going to serve. If I don't, if I, uh, you know, if I've got too much on, I'm not going to get to church. If I don't overly like my neighbor, I'm not going to make the effort to talk to, you know, we can easily get caught up in convenience. And if we take something from this story, I, I think we should recognize that convenience and worship are mutually exclusive because worship requires sacrifice. The reason that the animal was required to be of uh, their best was because it was to require sacrifice. 
and our worship today requires sacrifice. Number two, worship can't be about consumerism. We see Mark record things slightly differently or emphasise slightly differently, I guess, if I'm to put it accurately. And he talks about specifically Jesus goes and speaks to the sellers of the doves and says that, why have you turned my temple into a marketplace? Uh, you read the Old Testament law, you'll see that the, uh, those who had a lot of money, those who were, um, were, would bring the sheep and the, uh, the ox, and then it went right down to those who couldn't afford to give a lot would be required to bring doves. Uh, could purchase a dove and, and bring it for a sacrifice and they were a lot cheaper. He was speaking specifically at this time, so Mark records Jesus speaking specifically to someone in the temple actually taking advantage of the poor. By selling these animals at an inflated price in the temple grounds, they were taking advantage of those that were without anything else to bring to give. And so... We see it differently in the John account and the Mark account where the emphasis is on the marketplace, on the doves. And we know that the other animal, because he mentions the other animals, and so nothing is in the word by accident. We know that in the scheme of history, the Bible records really a few key words, you know. And so I think uh, we need to see it for what it is and know that there is something about that propensity of the, uh, the people who had chosen to set up the marketplace at that time were taking advantage of uh, the people who didn't have enough to be able to bring the required sacrifice and they were actually making them worse and they were profiting off that. I think sometimes uh, our lifestyle, our life, as we choose to serve God and be committed to following God, and maybe we don't do it in our churches, but we do do it in our lives, where we can profit from other people's position or poverty even. Where we can be in a position to take advantage of someone else's situation where we know that Jesus teaches us that if we have two and someone has nothing to give one, where Jesus teaches us that if we have an abundance and someone else is going without, that that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. I believe that as we choose to live our life in pursuit of following God, it requires us to assess what we do in a way that makes sure we don't take advantage of those that have less than us. You know, it comes sometimes for us comes back down to the convenience thing. So I had, I had lunch with someone on um, on Friday afternoon, and uh, so if anyone knows me, I've sort of been going on a uh, a bit of a a personal journey of figuring out my uh, consumerism and where and and addressing some of the things that uh, I know that maybe are um, materialistic or or even where I uh, I want to 
address issues of wasting more than I need to when there's people in the world that go without so much. And, uh, and so one of the things I, I believe we, we have so much waste in our nation uh, and even just in product packaging and things, so, we, you know, like single use where there's people who don't have anything and here we are throwing away things all the time. And so my commitment at the beginning of this year is I'm going to avoid anything that's single use, you know, single use drink bottles and coffee cups and all of that. And, uh, and so I've gone uh, to go sit at a cafe with this person who's probably like the other end of the spectrum where they're like, no, ca- uh, you know, consumerism all the way and it's like a great, you know. And so I order my coffee in a, like, you know, in a ceramic cup, non-takeaway, and... Um, and he orders the coffee in the takeaway cup because he prefers drinking it out of a takeaway cup. And, um, and so in that situation, I, I live easily to what uh, I know my conviction is. Uh, in the next day, I go uh, to my kids' basketball game. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I have to get four kids out. No, it's not even 8 o'clock in the morning. It's like 6.30 in the morning. I have to get up, get four kids ready, get them out the door so that the kid is at basketball at 8 o'clock to play. And they sell coffee. And I need coffee. But they only sell coffee in takeaway cups. And I've left my reusable one that I take with me, right? And so I actually, um, because I might have given this person that I was having coffee with a slightly hard time about his takeaway cup, that uh, I sent a picture uh, of my coffee cup, takeaway coffee cup, that, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm possibly a little bit hypocritical. That's probably bad. Um, I think that I'm not perfect. I'm still working on it. I still have the same conviction, but sometimes for the sake of convenience or because we want what we want, we go against what our convictions are, right? It doesn't mean you give up. You keep trying, but I'm just being... I'm having an honest moment. Is that okay? That's my confession. Just take that. Um, So point number three. It can't be about clicks. Another thing you need to know about the story and the context is in... Right, is that the temple was set up in a way that certain people were allowed in certain areas... And there's actually, I didn't even understand this until recently, or I did understand, I always knew theoretically that there was an outer court where the Gentiles were welcome, right? And then there was an inner court where only the Jewish people were welcome. Then there's, you know, so um, the outer, outer court, when I was in Israel, there's uh, uh, some of it remains uh, at the foot of where the foundation of the original temples are and there's a place that is very clearly a marketplace in the outer court and uh and standing there was where um it was explained to me that this was the area where people who were not jewish could come and worship yahweh they could come and worship the god of the jews they they were welcome to come and people did in that area there was a recognition that there was something different about this god you see in all sorts of stories where people worship the one true god they're talking about the god of israel and so uh there's this outer court where they could come and worship and it was the only place that they were allowed to go into because of the religious law and so the marketplace had been set up in this outer court you imagine animals coming and going and 
whatever else animals do when they're there all day. And, uh, you know, p- birds, and we know what if you, ha- uh, for our poor Alta One, <laughs> they know what it's like having a whole lot of birds living in the roof. Well, if you've got cages with birds um, making a whole lot of noise and there are people buying and selling and changing money. And we know, for those of us who are in here trying to pray this morning and just my four kids uh, decided to just be exceptionally loud this morning, it can be a little bit distracting, right? And so you imagine what this place would have been like with the marketplace set up not only would have occupied the majority of the space, but it would have made it functionally impossible for them to come and worship there. So while technically they were allowed to come and worship at the temple, they were being excluded by practice. I think we as the church need to be careful that we don't exclude those from outside of the church coming to seek and worship the God that we serve and worship by the way that we do things, by being exclusive, by being clicky, by being a place that's unwelcoming, by using language that excludes people that don't know all the things that we know, by putting in place practices that exclude someone that might not understand the way that we do things. I think we need to be very careful because the one thing that's repeated in both accounts of this story is Jesus saying, for my house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. Band, you can come and join me. I'm nearly done. We need to consider that sometimes the way that we do the Christian thing can actually put people off the God thing. We need to be careful that the way we do the church thing doesn't put people off the God thing. And that doesn't mean turning away from anything that is truth. It doesn't mean denying that God is the one true God. But it means making space in our lives, making space in the way that we do church. And this is one of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, next week for Vision Sunday, is making space for people who don't yet know how to do the whole church worship thing, but who are seeking God. Making space for them to come and find Him. Making it a place where they're not distracted or put off making it a place where they're not seeing the worst of what goes on, but a space where they can come. Because there was a time, maybe some of you guys have grown up in a Christian home and and don't actually know what it's like to not know any of that stuff, but I do. I know what it's like to walk into a church and not have any idea what anyone is doing, to not have any idea what some of the words that they talk about even mean, to not know why. I remember, I think I always sought God in my life. In some, like, and I remember going to, uh, I, was, I think it was a Mormon church that like, I convinced my mom when I was really young like, to go and check it out because the people kept coming to our door. And uh, I rem- they, do, they do communion as well and they were handing out the bread and the uh, or the cracker and uh, little cups of cordial as well. And, and I remember thinking that they, that was all the church could afford to feed the people, so they gave everyone a little bit of food. 
in case anyone was really hungry, right? That's, that was my thought about what. <laughs> I didn't understand. I also remember what it was like to see people connect with God and I saw something that I wanted, but I also remember what it was like to be excluded by people that were Christians. I remember what it's like to be, uh, have people scared of me because I look different and act different and you know, sound, used words they probably didn't like me using and all of those sort of things. And I remember what it was like to be on the outside. I remember what it was like to not be invited to things. I remember what it was like when someone did that, when someone started to invite me, when someone took me to a connect group, when someone invited me to a youth thing even though I, they knew that I used drugs and they knew that I was probably going to be a bad influence on some of the other kids and they knew that I was, they still invited me and I, knew, I know what it was like to feel like I was part of a group even though I was a bit different to them. See, Jesus made a way for every one of us and he calls his church to make a way for people who don't yet know him. We need to be very aware that we don't fill up the outer courts with superfluous stuff that we don't need, that has nothing to do with who Jesus is and sometimes even is so not who Jesus is so much that it excludes people from coming to know him. Following Jesus isn't about convenience. It can't be. It isn't about consumerism. It isn't about clicks. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about searching for who he is. It's about trying every day to do the right thing even when sometimes we do the wrong thing. It's about having another go even when we fall down. And it's about making others welcome. It's about using whatever it is that's connected you to God to help someone else connect. You might not be where you think you need to be in God, but if you've connected with him in some way, you can use that to help someone else connect to God. I think I had more people come with me to church when I was still messed up, still whatever, and who are still in church today than I have seen as a pastor come. And I don't say that to say, you know, we can't as Christians lead people to Jesus, but I am saying wherever you are at, if you're willing, and I, I challenge myself a lot now as am I as willing now to lead people to Jesus as I was then? Because that's the only difference. God can use you wherever you're at. I want to make sure that we don't assume this morning that we're in a place where everyone knows and has connected with God. This is a place where anyone is welcome and anyone can connect with him this morning. So would you stand with me, church? And I want to give you an opportunity with every person closing their eyes right now. If you feel like maybe you've been standing outside the gates if you feel like you've been in a place where you haven't been able to connect with God or maybe you're far from Him, but you know you want to know more about Him, you want to connect with Him, 
that this Jesus who would flip tables to make a point about recognizing the poor and and including other people and following God, that this Jesus might be a Jesus you want to follow. With every eye closed in this church this morning, if that's you, you know you want to step in. We're making space. We're clearing out the outer courts this morning and say, come in. Don't just come in there, but keep coming in. If you're here this morning and you know you need to connect with Jesus and make a commitment to follow Him, would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? If that's you, no one else looking around, if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for every person that you bring into this place. And we pray that we wouldn't exclude. We pray that we wouldn't be a place that puts people off, but a place that reflects who you are. That we would be willing to turn tables. We would be willing to drive out that which isn't of you. That we would be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of your gospel. that we would be willing to give of ourselves just like you gave everything for us.